my friends, the great experiment. Happy Frontier Day, everyone. Hit it. Trink, trink. Would you look at that? The greatest trink, trink. Two people, you're all astronauts on some kind of star trink. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Just got through watching this episode for the second time. I don't even want to do a Marin. I want to get right into it. <laughs> we got to get right into it. There's, what could we possibly talk about right now that is more important than this? My body has been ready for this moment for... <laughs> <laughs> 20 years? Shut up. Just say the title of the episode so we can start. <laughs> ben, it's Star Trek Picard, season three, colon, the final season, episode nine, Verks. You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. Let's fly. I'm certain. I've never seen that Enye above the, uh, the O. I tried to give it that kind of spin, yeah. like a, a rounder O, then maybe. Is that just how Vatic would pronounce it? <laughs> I think Vatic would pronounce it. <laughs> I guess we'll never know. We'll never get to hear the word come out of her mouth. Yeah. We hear words come out of Troy's mouth. We're, we're still in therapy race with <laughs> Troy and Jack Crusher. Which is how the last episode ended. Your truth. Yeah. It's behind that door. Find me. Will you let me open it for you? Yes, please. It seems like we may finally get to see what's behind that door. It's a door that the mind does not want to open. And uh, those are some of the toughest ones to get through. Yeah. I always thought the mind was the perfect door, <laughs> says John Rambo. <laughs> Times change. Yeah, so he starts kind of... Free associating, I would say, talking about the Crimson Arboretum and like songs and vines and the connections between the vines underground. Jack's the sort of kid you don't want to take on a field trip because the things that are interesting to him are like not the reason you took him on the field trip. <laughs> like <laughs> the Air and Space Museum is really cool. It's way cooler than the fucking bottle filling station next to the bathroom, kid. Like, <laughs> you'll eventually see a lot of those. What about growing radishes in weird dirt thought you were <laughs> entitled to go to the battle bridge? <laughs> yeah. Symbols have nothing but meaning, says Troy. I, I like that as a little wink at its own show yeah. there through dialogue. Yeah. A friend of ours texted me. Oh, man, I think I've got it figured out. The red eyes. Mm -hmm. Where have we seen that in Star Trek before? Mm -hmm. Paw wraiths. Yeah. Ducat. Yep. And I was like, this is a great call. I like it. It threw me off the scent, frankly. I was smelling a lot of things throughout the season. And I think ultimately all of that acted together to distract what was really in front of us the whole time. All of these symbols did have meaning and it was the most obvious meeting from the jump it was i think that one of the main tricks in their tool bag was just color coding it differently yep <laughs> like yeah. in the last season of picard anytime anything was green you knew what it was like before yeah. the characters realized in a way that was bad and i think that they did a really good job of burying the green lead here yeah 
I like how they give this moment to Troy, a character who hasn't had much to do this season. They give the big moment. She leaves therapy mid-session. Ben, this is probably something you've been through a couple of times when the therapist is just fucking sick of it, like can't really deal with what's behind your door. If I had a nickel for every time a therapist ran from the room and slammed the door behind them and then I presumably couldn't leave the room. Your therapist door locks from the outside? Yeah, what the hell is this? Is this still covered by my insurance? Do you validate? (laughs) Uh, Hey, do you mind if I turn off the white noise machine while you're gone? Yeah, so Troy runs out of there and straight to Picard and Beverly. And what she saw is something Jack did not. Yeah, she looked through the door when he didn't. And he's like yelling after her. Tell me, what did you see? What did you see? I think before they revealed the cube, I had collapsed it because he was talking about the vines and the connections being true, purposeful, and perfect. Right. And there's that word. That was, uh, yeah, hard to ignore. But uh, when she goes to tell Picard and Beverly, instead of like putting dialogue in her mouth, explaining the vision behind the door, the show cuts to the vision. Yeah. So you're saying it it took something away from Marina Sirtis here? <laughs> it gave something and then took something away, is what I'm saying. Right. I mean, the redness coming out of the keyhole was from the uh, the nebular that this ship is living in at the moment. Like, you're right about the color palette throwing us off here, but unmistakable blaster beam Borgs moment. Borgs in the mist. How'd you feel? Did you feel deceived? Or did you feel like this all locked together the way it should? I felt like it locked together. How did you feel? I'll get into this a little later, but I I feel a little bit deceived by their not having used Alice Kreege's voice throughout the season. Yeah. I think it was in there a little bit. Like, I think that they kind of used a little bit of Vatic, a little bit of BQ, and a little bit of Beverly and kind of edited between them. I mean, I'm calling bullshit on myself, too, because you can't. You just can't. Like, it's too recognizable and you just give it away. Yeah. Were you as shocked as Picard when we cut back to him? Because he is like jaw on the floor, shocked. Borg, that's impossible. Season after season, why does this keep happening to me? (laughs) He shouldn't be surprised, should he? It's like the main thing about him. It's interesting to hear two parents argue this out, right? right? Because Beverly is all on the medical standpoint for this. It doesn't make sense to her. I mean, it doesn't make sense to Picard either, but on a on a totally different level. Jack has never been assimilated. Jack has no nanoprobes inside his birdie. Yeah. They know this. Yeah. But Beverly's there to do exposition on Picard and us, which is like, look, birds and bees don't have nanoprobes either, but they're still like flying in formation and uh, climbing up on stamens and shit. Like, like they don't need to talk to each other yeah. to do all that stuff. So maybe there's like a biological evolution to this thing that they don't understand yet. There is an organic version of assimilation. Yeah. And the aromatic 
misdiagnosis was in fact, perhaps, Borg Biotech. And the reason his body got saved was because Soong knew that there was something weird about that you know, unusual structure in his brain. But like everything having to do with Soong's science, he thought it was weird couldn't really solve it. Didn't really know what to do with didn't it. Didn't get it across the finish line. Yeah, that yeah. runs in the family. <laughs> <laughs> Just lets it kind of play out. Yeah. They're like, well, we got to tell it. We got we to gotta go tell Jack right now. Yeah, Jack's sitting there like an idiot, not knowing what's behind his own door. Beverly's like getting ready to do it. And Picard is like, no, I've got to do it. This is something that I did to him. First time he's really taken... Any responsibility for a locutus. <laughs> Big moment for him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, normally he just leaves the room like like he left the bar when uh, Captain Shaw told his story. I thought Picard was just going to walk here. Yeah. But Troy has a moment that I found really interesting. She's like, look, there are rules about how to deal with a dangerous threat that Jack now presents. There's a protocol and then we cut right to Picard going into Jack's quarters. So I guess the protocol is uh, watch out. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, well, there's uh, there's two guys with, uh, you know, white coats and giant butterfly nets right behind the door. Right. We don't see them until later. What we do see is Jack's quarters. Are these the quarters that he was bragging about to crash LaForge? Oh, I thought he was still in the counselor's office because i thought this looked like a different location maybe i was more focused on the folded up page from a legal pad that picard pulls out of his coat pocket and says jack there are a lot of people on this ship who really care quite deeply about you and we're hoping you'll go to vulcan and get help today i just want to point out that on episode nine of Star Trek Picard's third season, the final season, and our season of Greatest Trek, your Picard has gotten really fucking good, man. <laughs> really good. I've been practicing maybe enough to annoy our listeners into not listening anymore. <laughs> it should surprise no one I've not practiced at all. The game is my practice. Oh, no, yeah, that's what I'm saying, is I'm, <laughs> I'm practicing on the field. <laughs> This scene is interesting in a lot of ways, and I want to start with Jack first. Jack blames Troy for what happened in therapy. I am never letting a goddamn bedside come near me again. He still doesn't know what's behind the door. And this begins a pattern of behavior by Jack that is hard for me to understand as a person who is a medical professional who has been brought up as a compassionate doctor-adjacent figure. Right. Raised with the values of a doctor. He seems totally obsessed with himself in this moment and not at all considering what any of this could do to anyone else in the scene. So I think Picard here kind of tries to tell him what it's like. There's a needs of the many issues that you might want to consider here, yeah. Jack. I mean, it. It's a lot of information to process. He's finding out that he's a bee looking for a hive and that they want him to go to an asylum, basically. I don't want to go to camp. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be in the beehive tent. I don't want to go. <laughs> There's the metaphysics of it, too, that he is 
asking about and th- nobody has answers like the the how much of me is me question is really interesting like where does the naturally occurring jack end and the thing that has been coded into him begin like does does his outlook on the world come from a spontaneous self or does it was it preordained right and this is where my mind really lived for a while because when he's talking about his worldview or whatever it's hard to know how much of that is jack or as something that's been placed within him by the borgs because there is the like sympathetic way of talking about this like i want more connections right. between people i want people to be able to hear each other and then like the brutal irony that that is exactly the same thing that the borgs want is very fucked up and i thought really well written in this moment i thought so too the scene is a great counterpoint to the scene that happened in 10 forward with shaw between picard and him because I really think this is Patrick Stewart's finest moment this yeah. season when he talks about what the queen made him do and how it feels to be responsible in the way that he was and to be forced to do things to people that he loved in the way that he was. I I mean, there are a lot of moments in this episode that could be described as what we've always wanted, but I think this is maybe the first. <laughs> it's a fantastic scene. It's a tough scene. Yeah. This was definitely the hardest part of getting ready to watch this episode the second time. Right. Because I watched this episode last night and I was, you know, my wife was like putting the baby to bed and getting ready for, you know, going to the gym. And I was like watching with headphones on in the living room and just like a ball of emotion the entire time. And she would occasionally walk through the room to like get a water bottle or something and just notice me. And I was like, I'll tell you later. I'm just going through a thing right now. <laughs> yeah. And like firing it up this morning to like prep for recording today, I was like, holy shit. Like I am I am looking forward to some stuff in this episode. I am not looking forward to the beginning of this episode. Yeah, the, the episode really hits hard. And if you're a Star Trek fan the way we are, uh, probably best to watch it alone. With headphones in. Yeah. I mean, you <laughs> like to watch, you like to endure a lot of, mental and emotional things with headphones in. So I get it. (laughs) So Jack wants to handle this himself, which is kind of counter to what he was saying before, right? About, you know, how a collective thinking is really what he rides for. Right. But it's like, it's don't meld me, bro, basically. He doesn't want it to be a situation where he doesn't have any agency in how this is solved for. So he gets ready to walk out the door and uh, the door opens and there's a couple of security guys there. And uh, boy, the <laughs> the face on the on the Trill one is like the most intimidating face I've ever seen. Yeah, they cast well for these guys. But I think this represents the weakest decision of the episode. You know, to go from a scene where Troy is like, there's a protocol to the protocol being just two guys with phaser rifles guarding Picard in a situation where they know some of Jack's abilities involve taking possession of other people and making them do shit, yeah. puppet master style. I think you got to do some force fields and and make the protection a little better. I also thought about what if they'd brought Data as muscle? 
Yeah. And I wonder if that was ever even considered in the writer's room because it seems like Data would be immune, but maybe he wouldn't because of the golem. Maybe the golem is different or something. Yeah, I'm not so sure. I know you've got to write your way into and out of this problem, but I'm just not sure that... I just hate when characters who are smart act dumb, and this is a dumb plan. It was a bad plan. Jack is really intent on getting into the Borg Queen's face, and he gets on a shuttle. After a scene where Beverly confronts him, right? Right, and those same guards he turns on his own mother, that's like even more painful. And uh, he gets on this shuttle and gets a little instinctual, you know, Borg information about where to aim the autopilot, and he goes to warp, and we're left with, like, Picard and Beverly looking out the window at their extremely bad plan having gone predictably extremely badly. I think we learned that the turbo lift can take you anywhere on the ship in 17 seconds because for Picard and Beverly to both end up in the conference room together <laughs> in the amount of time it takes Jack to jake that shuttle, it's amazing. Yeah, they could have just run to the shuttle bay. <laughs> Yeah. Or like radioed somebody to close all the bay doors. This is really tantamount to uh, a parent letting a child run away who has threatened to run away. Like, (laughs) fine, if you want to see how hard it is out there, like, I'm through trying to stop you. Yeah. The uh, scene of uh, Data comforting Picard, I thought was, was really sweet as well. The absolute devastation that Picard is feeling and the growth of the character of Data, like knowing that there's not really much he can do to relieve his friend of that. This is the most interested I've ever been in Data as a character. He is so interesting and he personally embodies that strength that Star Trek has always had, which is like how it deploys something kind of funny and meaningful and emotional at the same time or in succession. Yeah. I really like this moment too. Brent Spiner does that funny thing where where like there's lore breath happening. Like there's a dialogue breathing that <laughs> that he does when when he does his lines that I think is really fun. I like listening to him talk. He's great in this scene and in this episode. Yeah. The shuttle arrives in a nebula that looks a lot like the one from the Shrike confrontation at the beginning of the season. Are we supposed to believe that to be true like was the shrike there because it was in communication with borg's ships from transwarp conduits that led there i wonder about that because it definitely seems like it's got to be intentional that it looks so similar but i was also like didn't that one turn into space jellyfish and some fucking nerd is going to (laughs) enter in these coordinates that jack did into the shuttle and figure out exactly where we're at. But you're right, that the that first nebular is all jellies now. Yeah. So it's Borg City in there. They show up really quickly. And we cut back to the Titan where we're learning about how this all went down. As far as retcons go, I think this is pretty deft, you know? Like, think about 
how far we've come in technology over the last 35 years. That's basically the case that LaForge is making in his time. Yeah. And it's a case that you could make today. Like, look, back when we unplugged you from the Borgs, we knew what we knew then, and then we kind of left you alone. You went to the winery, you became an old, you stopped getting your yearly physical. Like, <laughs> we, we kind of stopped doing science on you for good reason, but... And you didn't seem to be, like, trying to assimilate anybody, so we got the feeling right. that uh, it was fine to leave you alone. So the idea is it's not Eremotic Syndrome, it's dormant Borg's DNA that was that had not been removed after his, his experience being assimilated. And they're able to detect this DNA in Jack, except Jack is more of a transmitter for the Borgs now right? in their way of putting it. And the question in the scene is if Jack is a transmitter, who are the receivers and how are they receiving his mental orders when he turns into Teen Wolf? I also like that this like establishes why Picard maintained his oral connection to the Borgs in First Contact, for example. I agree. I really think that was well done. Good job. So Worf points out that Star Trek Day is today, and the fleet is gathering, and this is all pointing at that. And, you know, the awful truth is that the one person that they should have been keeping away from the Borgs at all costs has gone directly there. So they don't really have a lot of choice but to head to Earth to warn everybody. Picard is like, who is the captain of the Titan? <laughs> Can someone remind me? Because <laughs> I've sort of been going off doing whatever I want. Shaw meets the idea of going to Sector 001 with 000 enthusiasm. <laughs> it's our only option, Captain. Yeah. Of course it is. I mean, I'm luxuriating in our remaining time with Shaw. <laughs> so when we see him deliver that, line the way that only he can it feels good it's uh <laughs> yeah i don't want to talk about that yet we get a nice dissolve to frontier day right a nice screen to uh reality dissolve yeah and frontier day is in full swing there's fireworks all the dogs in starfleet are hiding under the bed this is what I hate about like the month before Frontier Day right. is a bunch of fucking ships lighting off their fireworks. One night I can deal with. And you just know it's going to get worse and worse and worse until yeah. Frontier Day. It's like they do after every London Kings home game that they win, shooting off those fucking fireworks. Yeah. G give me a break. It's like, you know, just kills the air quality the next day. Yeah. It's terrible. Out of space dock emerges... The Enterprise F with Admiral Shelby in command. Damn, you are ambitious, aren't you, Shelby? This Enterprise F really shares a lot of design DNA with the E, and I wondered how you thought it looked. It is much, much, much better looking than the E. Wow. <laughs> I did not know which way you were heading with that. <laughs> I feel like the E is like... A pancake with not a lot of uh, air bubbles in it. It uh -huh. looks kind of smushed and flat. Mm -hmm. That's how they like them in France. The F is uh, is taller Hell in yeah. a satisfying way. At 10 forward, they sell the toy of it, though, and people call it the other fat one. <laughs> yeah, do you want the fat one or the other fat one? <laughs> I guess both fat ones. Yeah, yeah. 
the beauty shots of it are really nice. I'd say the one problem I have is I don't like that double neck design. Yeah. Like, which turbo lift do you take down to the uh, deflector shield area? Yeah. I, it's like, hey, if you want it to take 17 seconds to get to six bay, <laughs> take the port turbo lift. <laughs> That's the express. <laughs> Shelby makes her speech from the bridge, and I have disagreed mostly with the criticism of this show being too dark mostly, mm-hmm. but this bridge of a ship named Enterprise is so dark and so desaturated, and Shelby's skin tone is so already gray. Like, of all ships, wouldn't the Enterprise look the most like its legacy a little bit more? This just kind of made me sad. It, it it just looked so black and white. Yeah. Well, I wonder if that's symptomatic of, like, this thing that the fleet has been sort of redesigned toward. Yeah. So she takes a long time to talk about Star Trek Enterprise, and Jack beams over to a very TNG-looking word cube playset. Welcome home, Jack. I love how familiar this looks. This doesn't even feel like a new spin. This feels like a Borg ship that we're familiar with. This, like, complete with the little... uh, diamond-shaped hubs that they shot at in Best of Both Worlds. The whole thing is there. Great detail. It looked really great and really spooky. I mean, I, th- I think it, like the one way it's substantially different is how much scarier the lighting is than it was in like that first Borg Cube mission in TNG. But that's just like they have more time and more money and and a better handle on how to do that now, you know? It feels like in Best of Both Worlds... It felt like there was room for, you know, people to walk three abreast through a corridor. Yeah. But this version of the ship feels far more claustrophobic, and the camera's in tight on Jack, too, very intentionally, to make it feel that way. Yeah. There are uh, there are too many cables for them to spread out and, you know, explore the space. They just get tangled up. Back on the Titan, I was a little surprised at how Riker clearly still hates Shelby (laughs) from before. Like, they have not buried the hatchet. Our final frontier. I'll snap you back so hard you'll think you're a first-year cadet again. Still beef between Riker and Shelby. They really hang a lantern in this scene on the irony of her being in charge of a Borg-like modification to the fleet. Yeah. Uh, like, I was almost like, hey, writers, like, we can connect the dots on that. <laughs> Maybe that's, like, written for the person who's watching this for the first time or something. Like, like, isn't a Best of Both Worlds fan the way we are? Right. Or something. I mean, in some ways, it could be no one else, right? Like, let's workshop this. Like, you're going to drive the Enterprise F out of space dock. Who is its rightful captain at this moment in time. It has to be a familiar, and Roe's dead. Fuck, Roe is dead. God damn it. And the entire Enterprise senior staff is now together on Titan. Right. I I think that's a pretty short list, and I think this is the right choice. I agree. We hear the USS Pulaski name checked. Did you hear that over the radio? (laughs) That's fun. I did. I was was really trying to hear what some of the other ships and, and captain names were to see if those were other Easter eggs, but I didn't get anything else. I did a lot of the pausing to see the names of ships and so forth. That was fun. 
They really want you to do that when they give you the wide shot of the screen. They really do. So Jack knows enough Latin to know what some of the Borg's ideas for names for him were going to be. White trash name. Yes. Regenerati. Nope. Poor day. Nope. He gets told that uh, the BQ is as much his mother as Beverly is. So she's spent a lot of time thinking about what to name him also. Right. There was going to be a big announcement party with the explosion of a, of a colored firework or whatever. Yeah. Jack takes umbrage with this as, as much as he takes with anything else. Like, Jack. It's always a green firework and it's always injuring someone. <laughs> kind of a little lip coming out of Jack. Like, he's really confident yeah. in being able to, uh, I guess, kill the queen because once he arrives in her chamber, he holds the phaser up in an attempt to do that. I must kill the queen. It's like classically ignoring the good advice his father gave him. <laughs> Not even once, yeah. Jack. Yeah. You may find yourself at a party <laughs> where someone offers you nanoprobes. Never put your dick in cyborg. <laughs> we must take precautions. We need to score a lot of black fast. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Hi, Adam Pranica here for Podshop.biz, the easy way to dress, drink, and decorate virtually anything fast with embarrassment that lasts. Podshop.biz is not a cult. 
And it's not a multi-level marketing scheme. It's a supercharged carousel of crap spinning at a high rate of speed for all your dorky needs. Ordinary web stores are a mess, but with podshop.biz, you'll find products from all of our shows referring to many of our most popular bits. Shirts, glasses, and bags from other websites can damage your mood, but not with podshop.biz. Our nerdy, jokey bullshit will rebuild your damaged attitude and turn you into a person with riz. Turn your laptop from off the shelf to off the hook with a sticker. Make pool time cool time with our line of hilarious swimwear. And stop raw-dogging your smartphone. Strap it up with the choice of designs that'll have you go from saying hello to hello. But that's not all. At podshop.biz, you can choose from the Brenner Information Systems Collection, the Uxbridge Shimoda Corporate Collection, this old enterprise, logos for Greatest Generation and Greatest Trek, and more. Order now at podshop.biz. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. This ship and her history will shortly become the care of another crew. They will continue the voyages we have begun. The greatest trek. We only see the Borg Queen's head from behind, which is an angle that only the luckiest drones get to see. Mm. <laughs> I wonder if we'll ever see uh, the front of her. He struggles, thinks he can just shoot her and have this all be over, but of course he doesn't have that kind of control. What Jack does have great control of, thanks to Ed Spielers, is that hang drip move of tears on his lower eyelids. Yeah. He has got it, and he's been hanging drip like the past couple episodes, yeah. pretty consistently. Those lower eyelids have, have really gotten a workout, just like heaving balls of water up and down over and over again. You're starting to see real definition in those muscles. I don't think we've talked enough about how good Ed Spielers has been this season. Like, he's being made to play one note, as in sick kid who doesn't understand why he's sick. Yeah. Or his place in the world or whatever, but he plays the note really well. He does, and I like that his character, like, I think that his character made a mistake in going to 
confront the queen, but I like that his character is getting a little bit of agency again. And he's not just like along for the ride the way he has been for so many episodes. Well, (laughs) agency between shuttle departure and the tubes going in to Jack's neck. Like that's where the agency ends, I think. It really is. So um, we cut back to the Titan and now they're in like a science lab talking about something else they've discovered. The weird DNA resequencing thing that was done to Picard that developed into the transmitter that Jack is. Like Picard was set up to be a receiver. It evolved in some way to become a transmitter in Jack. But that DNA is being beamed into everybody that uses transporters. So whenever you get on a transporter pad and go anywhere, the code for being susceptible to this is is being digitally added to your genome. And we can do the math on this. Starfleet has already assimilated, basically. That's what the changelings were there to do. They're just there to become transporter officers. So were the changelings pulling the strings or was the BQ pulling the strings? Did you feel like you understood that at this point? The working relationship as I know it is that the changelings want to deploy a weapon at the Federation and the Borgs is that weapon. Right. But at this point, I don't feel like the Borgs are are taking orders from the changelings and yeah. any more than a bullet takes orders once it's been fired. Like, I think this is done. So you're saying changelings don't kill people, Borgs kill people? <laughs> I am saying that, exactly. (laughs) What a great plan. If your idea is to distribute something to all of Starfleet and you need to use its people to do it, everyone's using transporters. Yeah. How great was it of Roe to have made the decision not to use transporters in her late career for different reasons, but it kept her safe? Yeah. Actually, no, it wouldn't. I think yeah, she, she aged she, out. Yeah, she would have been safe enough as it was. Yeah. But yeah, so th- like they find this out and then this like Borg energy spike hits the ship. And honestly, it sounds like the Borgs are trying to send a fax to everyone. Yeah. The way this, this energy spike sounds. Yeah. What the hell was that? But they figure out that because of the way the brain develops, only humans under 25 and i guess like whatever like developmentally there's different numbers for different species i suppose but in human terms you have to be under 25 for this to affect you so only the young crew are being assimilated all the olds are are gonna have to be the ones to save the day the thing that's been put inside everyone via the transporters makes them a receiver for whatever the borgs want to transmit and the transmission has begun. So all hell breaks loose. Like we start to see like Jordy's girls getting Borgy. We start to see the Bajoran getting Borgy and the lady with the green stuff on her forehead getting Borgy. And it's right when the demonstration of the fleet formation happens. Like we're networking everything and everyone together. And now everyone's turning into Borgs at the same time. And like Picard gets like one last like warning message out. The Borg. But it gets cut off. And then like, you know, the Titan's getting taken over. I love what we hear on the radio. The panicked hails between ships. Yeah. It's a great scene. Very reminiscent of other Borg battles, but there's no cube here. Yeah. We see kind of an event horizon device on a Borg ship, right? Yeah. Like that seems to be the thing that's sending the signal out. That's the core of gravity drive. 
We see Shelby get capped by her younger crew. Man. Yeah, the youngs seem to be on a mission to kill. They're killing everyone who hasn't been assimilated. Kill all the all the non-assimilated crew. The older crew starts to play like old-timey music or like orchestral music. Uh-huh. To try and like drive them away. Yeah, and that doesn't seem to work. It only makes them matter. Eliminate all assimilated. Down in the science lab, Jordy is really freaking out about this because he's done the math and he has two under 25 kiddos aboard. He hasn't seen what's going on up on the bridge, but, you know, he can imagine. And uh, he starts, in his fear, singing. I don't mean to seem like I care about biological things like some altered genes. I just want to escape from the Borgs for the girls. <laughs> And Data's like, get a hold of yourself. And he like slaps him. <laughs> There's no time for that kind of shit. You got to be kind of relieved, right? Because everything you and I know about old people suggests like a natural resistance to the idea of collective decision making for the greater good anyway. <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't read quite the same <laughs> to people our age or, or the viewers at large. Right. But yeah. uh, but it does it is seen as a relief for the older crew people. Yeah, Picard is like, "Let's move to a suburb they can never afford and kick the ladder out when we're done." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. They're like all on a turbo lift trying to yeah. like find somewhere safe to go on the ship and we hear we hear at the end of the great experiment adam yeah come like family i guess the crew of the excelsior are old enough that they're able to retake the bridge and they try and break formation and get away from the fleet and we just see their their beautiful light blink out on the screen at first i was disappointed that we saw this play out in dots the way so often you do on Star Trek. Yeah. But I loved feeling the banger. Like you watch the dot disappear, but you feel it on the ship. Yeah. I like that compliment. I thought that was super strong. Yeah. It made it feel like really emotionally heavy. Like they feel super helpless in that moment because they're like in this little capsule. They can't even go anywhere. They're totally unable to do anything about it. They just experience it in isolation. Yeah. Picard orders stun only as they retreat within the ship during this firefight, clearly having learned from his Ensign Lynch experience, right? <laughs> Tough luck, huh? Yeah. I mean, he would like the same courtesy extended these assimilated officers that was extended to him. Right. So maybe we can get them back. Yeah. I mean, put a pin in that question for later. But throughout the ship, people are getting murdered by these new Borgs. And on the bridge, once it's clear, Captain Mura announces that the takeover of the ship is complete. And the olds, having been gathered together finally, all of them recognize that they can't stay and fight there. They have to leave. And Captain Shaw is the one that comes up with the idea of how they can go. There's a safe deck, a deck where no one is acting as security, where the maintenance shuttle is kept. 
And then Picard gets on the one MC and tells that secret to everyone. <laughs> Wherever you are, however you can, head to the sub-level maintenance corridor immediately. What are you doing, Picard? <laughs> you can't do that. I mean, because he sends the message, but no one meets him. As far as I know, the only people on that shuttle are the senior staff. Yeah, well, I think it was the people that were on the bridge when he makes... He must be just broadcasting to, like, Geordi and Data and shit, right? You hope. I hope so. But yeah, that's... Uh... Have you ever seen an older person use a cell phone? <laughs> yeah. How do you think that's going in the yeah. heat of this moment? Did you see how many unread emails Picard had when he got on his phone to to send that order out over the 1MC? I'd like this to ring on silent. I just don't know how to set it that way. <laughs> that, that, that is now your chair, Captain. Oh, so they're like in a hallway. They're getting set upon by assimilated crew members with rifles. Jordy's got a better idea than taking one shuttle out against the entire fleet, but he's not saying what just yet. And Shaw winds up kind of covering their retreat and getting hit. I like this scene because engineers can be heroes too, but I've really missed Shaw over the last four episodes. Yeah. And to inspire our affection for him and then ignore him for the middle third of this season and then kind of use him as an instrument for emotions at the end. I have a feeling I'm going to feel a lot like this, you know, by the time the season ends, but I just really wish there was more specifically of Shaw, but yeah. he does have a great last act. He, he does tell seven that, uh, this hasn't been his ship since episode two actually, <laughs> and she can have it. In this condition. Yeah, it's like, uh, it, it sort of comes across as like not as decent as he was hoping it would. <laughs> it's like, hey, thanks for calling me Seven of Nine, but like, this is not the ship I wanted to <laughs> take command of. Yeah. But Raffi and Seven cover the escape and... Uh, RSVP Captain Shaw. Did they take his body? I think they had to stay with him in the hallway because uh, everybody else goes through that door. You don't think they got on the shuttle? No, I don't. Oh, you and I had a very different take on what happened here. Did they get it? I didn't think they stayed behind. I thought they stayed behind. I thought it was like Raffi and Seven's big self-sacrifice on Shaw's model, but maybe I'm wrong. When they got together and they were like, well, the ship is a fucking death sentence to anyone who stays, I just took that as, as fact. Damn. Okay. I could see that now. I could see the story of episode 10 being told from these two locations. We'll see who's who's right, who's wrong. Yeah, we've got some bets to make <laughs> at the end. <laughs> we do. All I do is bets, bets, bets. No what. We get this very like ominous cut to the wide shot of space dock as the entire fleet in formation sort of converges on it. Sounds like they're going to kill space dock is the plan. Yeah, doesn't look good for space dock. Man. Wouldn't Space Dock be assimilated too? It seems like a pretty high value assimilation, right? Yeah. And also like the Borgs are like are not assimilating everybody this time. They're gonna kill the ones that, that try and hold out. Like they're like, we got the ones we wanted to assimilate already. Yeah. A a young officer who does not prefer the transporter is in some yeah. pretty big trouble here. 
But uh, the shuttle goes to warp and arrives back at the Fleet Museum. And we finally get to see what's in Bay 12, Adam. Like a retiree working on a hot rod in their garage. <laughs> so too, Jordy has been working on a Galaxy-class ship in Bay 12. And like we've talked about a bunch over the years, what happened to the saucer on Verdian 3? There it is. We talked about this this season, that this might be yeah. what was in Bay 12. Yeah, I think we won this bet. I mean, like pairing the beauty shots of the D with Picard giving us a good old-fashioned, oh, yes. She'll fly. When uh, they're wondering if this is what they're going to have to fly into the final episode. I kept wondering when I would be prevented from feeling this entirely, right? Like we're getting right up to the end of this episode and I'm like, fuck, if we just see the D and we're into the credits, my full spectrum of emotions will be stopped. But I really like how this is constructed in such a way where we don't just arrive at Bay 12, we don't just see the ship and hear about how it's constructed. We get to go through it all. Yeah. And I mean this like on an emotional spectrum. I went through all of it starting now until the end of this episode. I was just a fucking mess because <laughs> I was too. This is all I've wanted for the, like since 1994 since I really grieved for the death of a science fiction show Starship. Yeah. On a visceral level and to like be back here and witnessing its resurrection in this way right now, it's really special. Like, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. I couldn't believe how effective it was. Like, I was as affected by this moment as I was by the death of Rolaren. Yeah, I was too. Like, I was, I was in tears. I couldn't control myself. Think about what a miracle it is to get two of those in a season. I was so overwhelmed, man. Yeah. And they get that, and then they get bits out of it too like Picard yeah. does his carpet bit and like we get the computer voice like and they they told the fans that they had Majel Barrett's voice like encoded so that they could do that and they have held back on that until now they have not done yeah. that yet and yeah. the fact that they had the restraint to save that for this moment like you almost don't notice it and then when you realize it it's amazing I think restraint is the word of the episode it's the word of the season, and I think it may be the word of the series, because if this was season one of Star Trek Picard, and this is a question for you that I really want an answer for, like, do you think you feel it as deeply if you didn't go through what is basically a plastic bag over your head and a belt around your neck <laughs> for season one and two as a Star Trek fan? Like, I don't think you release the same way if you don't get two other seasons before this. So you're saying that they intentionally made a couple of seasons of fairly weak tea so that <laughs> they could really wallop us right at the end of the third season? <laughs> two seasons of tantric Star Trek and then, uh, and then release in the third. That's what I'm saying. Don't you feel it? Legendary title. <laughs> what do you think? I think that's a very well-made point. I don't know where you go from here if this was like episode three of season one. I'm really tied up in knots over it because like on the one hand, I feel a great amount of resentment for having gone through so much to arrive at the place that we all wanted to be from the beginning. Right. And at the same time, I know that the power of this moment 
comes in large part from being made to wait. Yeah. Yeah, it has to be the end point and it can't be the beginning. Like, I think that that's the smartest thing about the first two seasons by a long shot. I love, again, with that word restraint, I love how this episode lets the crew breathe and experience the moment with us. We get on the bridge and things start to slow down a little bit and we see things activate. I mean, the the crew is getting as emotional as we are watching it. It seems perfect. Everyone says it's perfect. It's amazing. They did such a good job also of like not meddling with it too much. Like I think that like the way the screens come on, we've never seen that before. It's definitely like a technology upgrade that wasn't available to them in 1987. Right. But other than that, it looks perfect. It looks flawless. It looks great on the widescreen, which it didn't always in those wide format movies, which is why they... Went to the E in many ways. Crucially, this is the last OBD-1 starship in the fleet before everything went OBD-2. Yeah. And that's what makes this ship useful for their purposes. They uh, aren't going to be subject to the same synchronization issue that everyone else has. So there's some sort of like fast and furious lines about this being all about family. And Riker says, where we go one, we go all. Let's go storm Sector 001. (laughs) And the ship goes to warp. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Wow. I could not believe the way I felt at the end of this episode. But uh, I guess I'm curious. Did you like this episode? I'm very glad I watched it in private my couple of times before recording with you. And I think part of it is because it's so, like outside of you, Ben, I have a very hard time expressing what Star Trek means to me. And I always have. And that's why I had to watch an episode like this by myself. Like no one would really understand what this feels like to finally be back on this ship with these people that, these are not real people, but I love them, and they are a part of my life. And It's so weird, but it's true. I almost want to take the, the episode apart a little bit and set aside that last 15 minutes, because it's almost impossible to, to describe it in the terms that we usually do with that attached, right? Like, this is a special part that is uh, impervious to any kind of criticism at the end. <laughs> Everything that led up to that point, I do want to talk about, though, a little more, which is we're finally at the answers for Jack's mystery, and I think I'm satisfied for how it was revealed. Like, you said a little bit about how this moment at the end could only happen now. It couldn't happen any earlier, but I do think that the revelation that he has could happen earlier. Mm -hmm. Maybe a weird reason for why I think that is that I think it might cripple the rewatchability of this season. Hmm. I'm going to rewatch this season and I and I wonder how irritating it's going to be for there to be no progress with Jack's mystery story until the ninth episode. There's there's plenty to enjoy up until then. Yeah. With respect to the rest of the crew, but I have feelings about that. I also wonder if Shaw's death wasn't as impactful as it could have been if he had remained a little more a part of this new crew. He was really boxed out. 
for, I guess, good reason. He was a dick to Picard <laughs> and he was a dick to everyone else. But like, if we're talking about families, what a nice thing it would have been if the Enterprise D family had welcomed him in right? instead of sort of taking over his ship the way they did. I loved seeing the ship variety and distribution that we got in the fleet. It would have been satisfying to have seen a fleet look like that in seasons past. I think it's jaw-dropping to see it at that scale. I thought I knew what the entire fleet would look like altogether. It was bigger than I thought it would be. It mm -hmm. really, really looked amazing. Yeah. I think finally, that Enterprise D set construction and the shooting of, of those scenes have to be among the best kept secrets in television history. I do not understand how that secret did not get out. I don't get it. It's a miracle that that wasn't ruined for us. Totally amazing. I can't wait. I mean, like selfishly, like we're recording this a few days before it comes out. I cannot wait to see the Friends of DeSoto just going crazy on the internet when yeah. this yeah. episode drops. Because, man, and I, like <laughs> it's been all I could do to avoid posting about how fucking wild this episode is. Like, I really wanted to talk to you about it as I was watching it, but we never talk before an episode recording, so it, it feels cathartic to get this out at someone. I broke that protocol in posting on our company Slack that this is the best episode of television I've ever seen. <laughs> I thought you were talking about Succession this week. <laughs> I haven't. I have not seen that. <laughs> Yeah. I, I watched the first episode and I could tell it wasn't for me. Uh-huh. Uh, what did you think of the episode, Ben? Well, like I said, Adam, it's the best episode of television I've ever seen. You really, th that's that's honest. That is honest. I do, I wow. do think that there are flaws. I think there are missteps. That scene between Picard and Jack at the beginning, the deft way that they made this puzzle fit into previous seasons of Star Trek Picard, previous movies and previous canon from TNG was so clever that like Jack getting away in a shuttle in a way that isn't like totally perfect couldn't bother me less. You know, like it's fun to make fun of stuff like that, but I don't care at all. Like I care a lot more about the universe that this takes place in being treated with the great respect of things about the universe being true and the character's subjective experiences within that universe being true. And so like writing what the aromatic syndrome really was and like why Picard was the way he was in best of both worlds and after and in first contact, it goes a long way to explain the rage he felt in first contact, mm -hmm. which has like often been like, one of the biggest things people criticize that film about. Right. Just him talking about what it was like for him is something that we've gotten very little of. And that is done as well as the construction of the bridge of the D like that is as finely executed as getting all of the little details of the bridge of the D right. And yeah. I think it's super subjective too. Like you have to be a big TNG fan to feel the feelings that we felt watching this episode. Mm -hmm. This episode doesn't work probably if Star Trek Picard season three is your first track. I, I totally like accept that. I'm not saying objectively this is the best episode of television. I'm saying for me, best episode of television. 
I don't know how they can top it. Like, I don't know why it's episode nine, honestly. I agree with you on a lot of those points. And it makes me want to say, to follow up on some of my previous comments throughout the season, I haven't been critical of Terry Metalis, but I have not joined the choir of calling him a genius. Let me ask you something. Why would a review make the point of saying someone's not a genius? But I do think the way that the backstory is connected to this one in the way that you described is really, really smart. And it is a testament to some really deep thinking and some great creative work here. And some like being a real fan of the show that yeah. wants to add to it and not like turn it into their own thing. Right. Right. Sean Shredda and Kylie Rossiter are the writers for this episode, and I think they uh, deserve to be named as reasons why this episode is so great. Yeah. Really great job. Really awesome. So we probably need to play some bets, Adam, and do some predictions. And I think we should do that, but we've got Priority One messages and Edward Larkins to get through before that. So why don't we head over now to check the Priority One inbox? I can't believe the good fortune of the friends of DeSoto who got to enshrine Priority One messages into this great episode of Star Trek. <laughs> now and forever. Wow. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. This first message is from Jonathan, and it is to Ben and Adam. It's a personal message, and it goes like this. We just got an electric car. Not a Tesla. <laughs> and it has Google Assistant for voice commands. Oh. I want to program it so that when I say, computer reroute power from life support to main engines, it turns off the heater. <laughs> Trouble is, I'm an iOS programmer. Programming Android is frustrating and tedious for me, and it puts me in a bad mood. Worth it, though? <laughs> Jonathan, absolutely worth it. That sounds worth it. Yeah. My electric car also has Google Assistant, and I want that. So if you make it, I will install it on my car. Yeah. I think there's a great big market for something like that, Jonathan. Yeah. You can speak to your your house as as computer, right? You have a you have a voice assistant in your home where you can say like computer turn on the lamp in the living room. I do, and it's never not totally nerdy <laughs> to do that. <laughs> I say go for it, Jonathan. Yeah, agreed. This is the permission structure you wrote in for. Our next priority one message is from Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. And it is to Christar, Shrimp, Colgar, and Mike. It goes like this. I'm excited to watch this nub and bug filled season of Picard with y'all. Relish in your new bodies, brothers. Oh. <laughs> oh, Mark. As high as I am on this episode that we just reviewed, Adam, I am a little bit disappointed that no nub and bugs were harmed in the making of this season of Star Trek Picard. I know. What was the hand? Uh, that was the change leader, huh? I think we got to talk about that in our prediction section. All right, good call. Yeah, Mock and Chris Darshram Kolgar, longtime FODs. What about Mike? Mike is too. Yeah, yeah, Mike also. <laughs> I can't forget you, Mike. Yeah. All right. Well, if you'd like to get a P1 message on the show, we can't guarantee that you'll enshrine it on an episode of Star Trek as special as this one, but you might. Yeah. Always a chance. It's MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron to do that. 
Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself an Edward Larkin? Edward Larkin. Yeah, Data telling Jordy that he hopes they die quickly <laughs> was like, you know, salt makes the sweet taste better. Uh-huh. Like that's what chefs say. Shit is really going down at this part of the episode. And that was just a perfect little bit of sugar on a salty scene. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, made everything taste better. I really love that moment for Data. New Data, really one of my favorite characters Yeah, in Star Trek Picard. One of the things about the screeners that we get is that our uh, email addresses are occasionally superimposed over the action so that you can't like, you know, put the video up on the internet or something, I guess, without getting caught. And uh, <laughs> I really wanted to like already have the gif of Data saying that, but I didn't want my email address to be on there. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I hope we die quickly made Data by Edward Larkin as well. Wow. Yeah, that line got a big pop from me. Yeah, yeah, at an opportune time, right? Yeah, perfect moment. All right, Adam, we've got one episode left of this show. Where do you see it going? We already got the big call that Bay 12 had the D in it. Yeah, we won that bet. I think we, throughout the season, knew where this was heading with respect to the Borgs. I think we were just entertaining the possibility of other things happening, but I think we were also correct on that. I have three predictions. Okay, wow. Three bets to make for episode 10. All I do is bets, bets, bets. No I think the Enterprise D defeats the Enterprise F, specifically. <laughs> okay. In a real, like, spiking the fucking football moment in the season and in the series. Okay, okay. Like, triumph for the Enterprise D is going to feel amazing. Also. Second prediction. Okay. They separate the ship. Okay. Wow. <laughs> We're going to get one last fucking separation. <laughs> got to do it. You, you got Riker there. Riker's the guy who knows how to do it best. He's, he's great at that. They built the battle bridge with just as much care and attention God. to detail. <laughs> oh, my God. I've got chills on top of chills. Like, couldn't you see it? Can we see the battle bridge? Yes. 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 Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Finally, third prediction, saddest prediction. Someone on the senior crew dies. And I think I know who it's going to be. Yeah. It's going to be Will Riker. Oh, wow. I was thinking Picard. I feel like it's going to be Riker. Dang. Here's why. I love Picard as the father figure that uh, a lot of people view him as. But like, I think I would feel more if Riker died. In many ways, we've experienced Picard dying over and over again. Mm -hmm. And that part of me emotionally might be just kind of burned out. If it's not Picard, that is going to be an incredible and emotional surprise. And I feel like that is the decision that should be made. Yeah, Like have Picard eulogize whoever that is. That's the moment that I want. Mm -hmm. I want to hear Picard tell us how important that person was and in the way that only he could. Those are my three predictions. What about you, Ben? Okay. I do think we are going to find out what the hand was. And I th think it's going to be the BQ. I think like whatever the, you know, the transmitter and receiver thing was, I think that will be. Mm -hmm. Like we're going to see that technology used again and that will answer the question. 
Yeah, or something like that. Like, I, I, it feels more to me like the changelings were in the thrall of the Borgs and not the other way around. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And not like this was equals collaborating on a dastardly scheme. Right. I think the changelings may have thought they were using the Borgs, but I think maybe the <laughs> Borgs just were letting them think that. Mm-hmm. I don't think we'll see Wesley. I do think we'll see the saucer separate, and I think that they will play the entire theme song. <laughs> and that's the special cut. <laughs> Someone's got a cut of that episode that that has that scene. <laughs> and I think Grappler Zorn probably makes a uh, an appearance in the final episode. You know. Good morning. Wow. Yeah. That totally brings it together. Yeah. Full circle, baby. <laughs> um, I'm really excited for the final episode of the final season, and uh, that's coming up next week. We got one more segment in the show, Adam. That's right, Ben. Together at the end of every episode of Greatest Trek, we read a message of either invitation or warning Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for a potential friend of DeSoto. We call them warning, Boaz. We do. Let's see what social media manager Bill Tilly has found. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning, boys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. Ben, we've got a warning buoy in the form of an Apple podcast review, and these go a long way in elevating us in the algorithm that makes us attractive to new viewers. Sure does. That message goes like this. It's a five-star review for Greatest Trek. Hell yeah. That's the number of stars I like to see. From Ponfire Jedi. Headline, (laughs) best Star Trek podcast out there. Birdie. I've listened to a lot of Star Trek podcasts. Before I found Greatest, I had five in my regular rotation. Ha! (laughs) Now all I listen to are three, and two of those are The Greatest Generation and Greatest Trek. Oh, man. I kind of feel bad about that. (laughs) I got a late start, so uh, a late bloomer is is what the review is is Uh disclosing to us. Uh Same. (laughs) And I'm currently listening to season two of Voyager on Greatest Gen. Love you guys and your humor. Right up my alley. Keep the Trek coming. Also, a suggestion for a Greatest Trek episode, Star Trek Cruise Review. Wow. Wow. Well, thanks to Pondfire Jedi for that review. As we always say, uh, a review is one of the great things you can do to support the show. It's absolutely free and gets more people to listen to us. And that is important because in the end, we want everyone to listen to this show. Everyone. Right on up to Vladimir Putin. We want to network all of the podcast listeners together. Yeah, we, you know, if only people could hear our show, like like the vines interlinking underground. It's it's perfect. Right, right. All right. Well, let's throw the pod keys over to Wendy. She's going to bring us home with some credits. Thanks to everybody for listening, and we'll see you next week for another episode of Greatest Trek and the last episode of Star Trek: Picard. SVP. Greatest Trek is an expert Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. We'll be back next Friday with a review of the season three finale of Star Trek Picard. Cannot wait for that. And there are multiple ways that you can support the ongoing production of this show. If you're so inclined, you can set up a membership at MaximumFun.org slash join. 
That gets you access to tons of great bonus content. You could also get a thing at podshop.biz or recommend the show to someone that you know. And those five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts really do help too. We appreciate your support. Thanks to Adam Ragusea for creating the original music for Greatest Trek. You can find his podcast and his YouTube cooking channel by searching for Adam Ragusea. Nick Dittmore created the show art and Bill Tilly manages the at Greatest Trek social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and now Mastodon. Make sure you're following those accounts and use the hashtag Greatest Trek when you talk about the show online. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.